Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I'm your host, and today I am joined again by returning guest, Mr. Paul Pernan. Paul, how's it going tonight? Brother Marcus, it's going great and it's my pleasure to be back with you. It's my pleasure to have you on. Thanks for being on. I know this is something we kind of threw together last minute, but I think it'll be a beneficial and fruitful conversation for all the listeners out there. So thanks, Paul, for being on. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to this podcast. Sweet. And before we get into it, I do want to make a couple of uh, announcements here, uh, typical announcements I make on every episode. Um, You can follow us on our Instagram for any and all updates at The Potter's House. Uh, If you have uh, an iPhone, please go to that uh, purple icon, that podcast app, Apple Podcasts, scroll down, tap the stars. It really helps the exposure of the show. And uh, you can also leave a written review as well. Uh, And I have a couple of reviews to read. It's been a few weeks now, but I do have a couple of new reviews to read from the listeners who left one. Uh, The first one is uh, titled Great Podcast, and I can't believe I have to read this person's name out loud. He put Ruby Poopy on there. Uh, nice one, whoever that is. Uh, and he wrote, or I, I assume it's he, uh, as someone who rarely listens to podcasts, I must say that these are awesome. You do a great job hosting your guests, and your guests do a great job answering the questions you put in front of them. I've learned a lot and, and came to find this podcast is informatively expansive. May the Lord bless you guys. Well, thank you, Mr. Ruby. Appreciate that. And then uh, we have a second review uh, titled Great Podcast and Host. And it's by Slavic M. So that's Slavic Moraru, uh, former guest. So thank you, Slavic. And he writes, had the great opportunity to be a guest on this show. Loved it. Marcus truly cares about the topics and his audience. Keep on doing great things. So uh, thank you guys for the review. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the feedback that you guys have. Uh, It's an honor just to be able to serve this community. And um, I love using this platform to serve you guys and serve God uh, first and foremost. So thank you guys for that. Also, I forgot to mention Spotify. We're also on there, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and there's also a couple other podcast platforms you can find us on. So one last announcement. As I've mentioned these last few episodes, I am planning on taking a summer break. Uh, My last episode that I'm going to record for this short season is going to be May 26th. It's the last Wednesday of the month of May, and then um, I will be taking a break. Now, how long that break will be, I am not sure. I'll probably post something periodically because I can't imagine myself not posting for three months but uh, for the time being I need some time to rest to recharge to kind of refuel gather my thoughts plan for the future and um, just record more episodes and release them starting in the fall so thank you guys so much for all of your support thus far I really appreciate it and thank you guys for uh, just everything you've done Uh, just meeting you guys out there has been great and uh, whenever someone comes up and talks about the podcast I'm, I'm just truly honored just to meet you guys so thank you guys for that and uh, yeah, Paul, let's get into this. So um, just to tell the listeners out there, this this is kind of like a last minute episode. I kind of got to a point where like my scheduled guests were had to be pushed back a few days. So uh, we're doing this on a whim. And uh, I told you a couple of days ago, Paul, just pick the topic, man, and we'll talk about it. And I really like uh, what you picked, if I can even describe it right now, because we're still kind of figuring it out. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the state of California and this generation here uh, today. Um, every time I meet someone out of state, 
they tell me like, why do you still live in California? Like, isn't it bad over there? Isn't it? They hear these horror stories about the state of California, how uh, we're we're very uh, just under the influence of the Democrats. It's very liberal, which is true, uh, but they they don't really see the whole story and they have a lot of questions about it. So. Paul, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, I don't know where you wanted to start things off, but uh, what is what is your take so far on on this state and this and this current generation as we kick things off? Well, Marcus, I'll start off with this by saying that I'm a uh, native of California, uh, like yourself and many others. My parents came to the United States of America, immigrants from uh, Romania, and they wanted to pursue the American dream, which was to be able to have the opportunity to make a better life for themselves and their children and to worship God freely. And those are good things. I love this state. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not (laughs) planning on going anywhere because uh, I'm not that kind of person. Um, It is difficult, you know, sometimes uh, because I've seen the changes. I've lived in California my whole life. I remember when there used to be orange groves. I was, I'm actually old enough to remember like the town that I grew up in um, had orange groves before they you know, industrialized. And I remember walking through Orange County and I remember how this place used to be. And I've seen the changes growing up. I've gone through the public school system here. Uh, I grew up in the state of California. My dad's dream was always to be here. I went to high school, college. I graduated from the University of California uh, in Irvine, uh, and I, I'm so grateful uh, for the opportunities. But I, I, I don't like the narrative that's imposed upon us that California is the worst state to live in. It's a little pricey. Yeah, it's you know inflation is is the talk in the news right now. But I, I still like it here, and I'm still praying for my state, and I'm very optimistic about the future. The state belongs to us just as much as anyone else, and we we have to live here too. And I, as a Christian conservative, I'm not afraid to share that, you know, um, and I'm glad to speak up. And I'd love to tell you more about kind of why I decided to go pursue this topic, um, if I may. Of course, go ahead. Okay, because feel free to interject, Marcus, because we can make this a discussion as well, and I'd love to hear your input on it. But the reason why I wanted to talk more about the state of California uh, was because, you know, working in ministry and having gone to school here and having seen everything, I, I'm, I'm a Californian. I like to enjoy the weather. I like, you know, the life. I like, you know, days at the beach. I like, you know, just living at peace with my neighbors. I don't, you know, have a lot of, you know, personal ambition. I just want to do what the Bible says to make it your ambition, the Bible says, to live a peaceful and quiet life. Paul the Apostle says that. Uh, make it your ambition, he says, uh, to live a peaceful and quiet life. And I, I love that. And I think there's there's nothing wrong with that. The issue is um, we, our peace and our security and our you know ability to worship God without disruption is kind of being put to the test. And I, I as a Christian, again, I you know, want to evangelize to people and I want to spread the gospel. Uh, but what I'm seeing is alarming. It, it's, it's, uh, it's concerning. And I think there are good enough people out here in the world and even in California um, who just don't want to make their voices heard because they don't want to get involved in this stuff. They don't want to get in, involved in the muck. They just want to live their lives, enjoy you know, a good time, uh, you know, some fun in the sun and, you know, volleyball like we did this weekend. It was incredible, by the way, which great 
organization on that, Marcus, and all the team here at Bethel who helped organize that. Yeah. God bless you. Praise God, yeah. Um, whoever didn't show up to that, you missed out. The food was incredible. The The weather was great. Um, uh, it was a little chilly, but that was perfect for us because we were, we were outside. Uh, some of us did get a little sunburned, but it's all good. <laughs> yes, most of us did, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you know, this, this is a beautiful place. I mean, I'm playing volleyball at the park, and I'm, I'm sitting there and looking at all these people, and I'm going, man, this is, this is what California is about. This is, this is why we are here, to be able to enjoy this time. And we got to interact with people all over the state. And I, I, I do believe, I'm very optimistic, I do believe we can see a reversal. I, I do believe God can turn things around. And, and if you love your state as much as I do, if you, if you love it here, then, you know, speak up. Do all you can. You know, this is your state. You're a citizen. You pay taxes. You're you're here. You're just as much a member of this society as anybody else, and you have an equal part in it. And the reason why I got it up into this topic was because um, I didn't realize, you know, you know how challenging it was until I worked for the state of California for about a year and a half. I worked for the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. And Marcus, if I could just use the time to tell you how God has worked in my life and how what I've seen. In my experience there and since uh, pre-COVID days, um, I call that uh, uh, BC, my BC days before <laughs> COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, um, it's all God's working. I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm a living testimony to, you know, the witness uh, to God's power. At least I'm a witness to it. And, and I believe now more than ever the power of prayer and the power of a collective prayer as a, as a community and the ability to, for God to, to kind of flex his muscles a little bit and, you know, proverbially speaking, so that he could show this world his power. And sometimes we as Christians need to just pray. We just need to pray and, and really, you know, trust God and, and, and be more optimistic about it, not be afraid of the opposition. Because I, I've seen in my own life, and I'll tell you, I've, I've witnessed it. When my dad passed away, uh, it was very difficult for our family to... to, to um, to figure out kind of what would come next. But I'll tell you, God provided. God provided um, for our family. Uh, we were never short on work. We were never short on bread. We were never short on clothes and, and what we needed, you know. So God provided. Um, when it came to our church, you know, it was amazing how the church even came together at Agape. And it's I it all, all glory to God. Because when the church moved, it was so strategically placed and i remember even then you know it was very difficult marcus to start a church i mean very difficult um i i don't think i would ever do it again in my lifetime you know i just start it's that hard but i looked at it and i said you know and it wasn't just me by the way it was me helping out my senior pastor dr kunishor and all the elders and the other pastors at that church and and the group that came together they met at a hotel initially and i was there i remember and and, and people were praying because there was a need and they just came together and said, we need an alternative. We can't, we don't have any other choice. And so God provided, God provided the building we were in um, when I was short on work and I prayed, God send, you know, give me, you know, something to do. He, he provided after my education at Talbot School of Theology, a job as a chaplain. And I said, God, send me, just send me anywhere. And then this posting comes up for the job as a Protestant chaplain at the California Department of Corrections in Chino. And I'm like, 
no, send me anywhere else, God. And he's like, uh, but I'll apply just to, you know, just say I did it. And I did. And kind of the encouragement of my mom, just, Paul, don't give up. Do it. You know, it's a state. It's a good job. Uh, good experience there. Do it. And I was like, I don't want to go there, but I'll go. And I went to the uh, institution there, and I remember working. And it was so strategically placed because one thing that I prayed for God was very specifically. I said, God, and I'm not making like a list. I said, God, this is what I need. I said, I'm working at the church, but I do need to pick something else on the side uh, to help fill in the time and, and to make up for that. And, and I said, God, it needs to be where I can still serve in the church in the function that I am. I need to be able to have my Tuesday nights and Sundays free. And I, and I have to be able to work a full week. And I said, God, here's the, here's the, here's the problem. I, I don't see a solution because everything else was, you know, uh, 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 not working out. And I said, okay, well, God here, this is a significant problem, but I know you can solve it. I don't know how. And, and by the way, California traffic. Yeah. That's the one thing that I would, I don't like, but you know, that's what I'm saying. Thank God for remote work and the ability now to be mobile and, and, and we have more free time to, to do that. But I, I remember praying and then this position opened up at this institution is literally the other side of the Hills where my church is from. And I go, wow, the location's incredible. It's literally on my way back on my way back home from work. I, I can stop by the church and do work at the church and have my meetings and uh, youth group and teaching and all that. But here's a problem. Sunday, I said, this is this is not going to work out because Sunday. So I went into the interview and uh, I, I didn't even feel like I was like prepared for it. I just went, OK, I'm just going to be myself. And they gave me the position like the next day they called me. Can you start right away? And I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're asking me to be the chaplain, but I can't be the chaplain because I see I work at a church and I need a part time job and I need an, another side thing I can do. And I said, I just can't work Sundays and t I just Tuesdays and Sundays are my days committed to the church. I'm sorry. It's the Lord's day. I can't give that up. And I remember they said, that's fine. We'll work around this. You're on salary so you can work around the schedule. And I was like, OK, every excuse I'm giving to God, he's just firing it back. And I'm saying, Okay, God, if this is where you're calling me, and I was excited. I mean, I put on my full armor, man, and I'm going to the institution, and I'm singing that song. This is how I fight my battles. You know, <laughs> you know I'm going in, you know, pumped up, ready to, you know, do chaplain work. And it started out really good. I mean, I loved the job there. My manager, you know, really sweet lady, and uh, the people around there were really, really optimistic. But then I started to see, Marcus, the ugly side of politics. I started to see that uh, things aren't as organized as people think they are. And I started to see that, man, there's there's a lot of work to be done. And not only that, when I was working there, I felt like as a Christian conservative, I felt like I was um, a bit of an outlier. Mm -hmm. I was kind of behind at the times. And I felt like I was doing all this work to try to... Uh, um, to help... or And I'm a very organized guy, by the way, and I was doing all this paperwork and keeping up with everything. And, and I realized, wow, I'm kind of, you know, fighting the current here because the governor brought something up that people aren't aware of. And they're saying, well, they want a one party system in California. That's the Democrats. Right now we have a tech, really a one party system. They're saying it's a three party system. I, I don't agree with that. It's a one party system because there was a proposition that passed a few years ago, which allowed for two candidates of the same political party Democrat to run for for office and I was like that's a bad proposition I voted against it but it passed so now 
two Democrats can run. And I looked at that and I said, well, isn't the point of an election to have representation from both sides competing and then the people vote? That's the idea in my head. I said, this is wrong because by the time you get past the preliminary, you know, uh, uh, elections to the main, you know, elections, th the cards have already been stacked. And I go, that's kind of messed up, you know, but be that as it may, I looked at the situation. I said to myself, wow, like we are, we're kind of in very interesting times because, you know, we don't really have, I feel like Christians, a voice like we used to have. And we're, we still, last I checked, have a significant, you know, voice and we can voice our concerns, but I just don't think people speak up enough. So anyways, when I was there, I started to see how, you know, it wasn't just a political party that, you know, was being consolidated, the Democratic Party. Um, it was it was the religion. That whole coexist thing where let's all be one religion, basically, functionally, it's a universalism where, um, look, let's all get together because we live in this. This is how they think. We live in a society. You got people from every religion, every denomination. Let's come together for unity's sake. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with the idea of unity, but there is, in a sense, if you're united for the wrong cause. Um, you know, gangs are united, you know. Yeah. <laughs> mafias are united. That's not a good unity. That's not a good purpose to be united. That's not something I want to get together with. And for me, the idea of let's get um, people of all religions together to do a worship service, a and chaplain, you can lead the prayer. And I'm like, what? Wow. Uh Okay, well, we what do you want to do? We, let's do a service. Let's do a multi inter. This is the first time ever in the in the state of California in, in the in the in the in the state that we've done something like this. They said the first ever, and chaplain, you can do the lead prayer. And I'm going. I smell a fish. Because that that's that doesn't seem right to me. I have a title of a Protestant chaplain. Do you know that? Do you know? I mean, I'm, I'm, these are educated people. I'm sure. I'm like, you guys know the difference, right? Between like Protestant and, and Catholic and, and, uh, Muslim and Jewish and, and Buddhist. Like, you know the differences, right? We, we have to respect people's differences. We have to respect their beliefs. And for me to go up there, and come together and hold hands with all these different representatives, all these religions, and pray for them. Um, I felt like I would be sending the wrong message to the population, to the inmate population. I said that's I, that's kind of like to me Daniel and his three friends, you know, in Babylon, and they're like bow down to the Almighty, autocratic power, you know, the uh, king and and what he represents, you know, bow down to that. And they didn't. They were like, no. But Daniel worked for the king and uh, he had inside scoop. So I, I feel like, you know, there are a lot of Christians in the department. There are a lot of Christians who work there who know how to like not get involved in those things. But I felt myself in my role as a chaplain, like I have no choice. If I say yes to this thing, then I'll have to basically give in to the idea that, yes, all religions are equal. In the sense, and they're not. They're not all equal. They don't have equal ideas. They don't have equal values either. Um, uh, there's there are a lot of similarities in terms of you know concepts and ideas, but I ultimately you know 
the person and the work of Jesus Christ is so um, exclusive to Christianity, particularly the role of the Word of God in Protestantism. And people just don't know this. They're not educated. If I were to say no to doing this event, I knew that I would not be accepted there. I felt like I needed to make a decision. I was like, okay, um, yes, and compromise on my convictions, or no, and look for another job. And I got hit that week, they were supposed to do it, with the worst fever I think I've ever had in my life. And I think it was coronavirus. And I remember working there, and I was trying to preach a sermon, and I was coughing. And they are like, what's wrong with you? You're coughing. I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. When was this? This was uh, in January. Oh, so late February of 2020. Okay. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, I mean, I had, I think it was coronavirus. I, I wasn't tested for it because this is before the news blew up. And they were like, oh, you're, you'll, oh, you'll get over it, you know, chaplain. They told me, I said, yeah. And I just naturally got over it. I, I took, you know, uh, you know, I, I drank a lot of water. I ate, you know, I, I, Gave my administered myself, you know, a lot of vitamins, and I I recovered. It was fine, but I remember they did the event without me, and my excuse was that I had gotten sick, but I didn't want to go. I told I had written an email and said I wasn't going to attend, um, and then I had gotten sick, and so that getting sick was kind of like my cover for it. So I didn't. Um, and then what happened was, uh, literally the next week after the event. I just felt in my spirit like this whole thing is messed up. They they shouldn't have done this event. They're sending the wrong message. But what can I do? I wrote a letter to the director before that. I said, this is a service. All the other chaplains said, what's going on with this thing? Uh, the director wrote back, nope, we're going ahead and do this. Uh, basically, this is under the directive of the governor of California. I think they basically just give them an agenda and say, go for it. So the director was like, okay, we, we've got to do this thing. No, the governor wants it done. We got to get it done. Here are marching orders. Bam, and he wrote a he. I, I wrote he wrote a memorandum to everybody in the department. This is specifying this is not a service. This is this. And I said no. This is a service. If you're praying, you're singing, you're doing all this is a service. But anyways, that being said, I remember thinking to myself, that's not fair. I'm a I'm a chaplain. I work for the department, and I'm trying to give you my point of view, and I'm trying to give you my. And it's totally just overlooked. And I said, to, that's when I knew. They, they don't even care what you have to say. They don't even consider it. And I was working for the state. And I said to myself, okay, this is, this is, this is not good. Literally the next week, COVID hit. And, oh, there's this new virus, you know, that's coming out. And I was thinking, coronavirus, that's interesting. I worked on Chino Corona Road, which I was like, that was an interesting <laughs> connection in my mind. I was like... God, there's got to be something going on here. I don't know. Um, but I was like, I'm just having these weird, you know, uh, ideas in my head, you know, because I'm getting over this virus. And, and then they shut down all the programming at the prison. And I made a decision. I was like, okay, I can stay or I can go. And let me stay for a month and try to use this as an opportunity. It's everything's closed and try to minister to the people. I mean, I, I had decided, you know what, seeing how the government functions is very ineffective in a lot of ways. It's good. Government's not bad. It's good. It's God-ordained. God gave government, um, instituted government. But there, I felt 
and even one of the personnel there told me, you know, Chaplin, you're a good guy, but we don't think you belong in this place. They told me that this is not your place. And I was like, okay, maybe not. And God do provide. So I, I put in, you know, a well in advance notice and I said, it's time for me to go. Um, but others around me had started resigning. Cops that had been working for a long time were starting to resign. And that's when I knew there was something big happening, a shift. I mean, we're coming to a, a change, a, a change in t- changing times, you know, and we're, we're part, our generation is part of a, of a big change. And I remember leaving that position and turning in my keys and, and saying, wow, God, I mean, just like that, you know, um, I've got to, I've got to walk away and, and leave it, just leave it there and trust you with this. And so focusing on home church activities and putting all my attention there, stuff started coming up on the news. Governor Newsom's mandates, and it felt like the church was being isolated. I mean, silly things like no singing in church. That's ridiculous, yeah. (laughs) Come on. When I saw that, I was like thinking to myself, you know, there's that scene from Braveheart, you know, playing outlaw tunes on outlaw pipes. You know, like, what are they doing? Remember the uncle? He's yeah. like, they're playing outlaw tunes on outlaw pipes. And I was sitting there going, this is a total Braveheart moment. You know, like who says no singing in church? That's the most Grinch thing anybody can do. Especially the Romanian church. That's literally all we do. That's what yeah. we do. Romanians yeah. love to sing and no praying in church. We Did, pray out loud, communal prayers. Yeah. No praying in church and no singing. What do you want us to do in church? No preaching. Next thing, no preaching. Because when you talk, you preach, air is coming out of your mouth. No, And I, I was looking at this and I said, this is overreach. This is overreach. This is a time when people need the word of God. People need encouragement. And they had, by the way, this is what upset me. I stayed for like a month into uh, Corona. I said, I'm going to see how things play out. They had told me, oh, we should be over this thing by summer. Oh, we should be over the, this. They had told me, one of the upper people there, won't mention their names, said, yeah, this is just like any other virus, but, you know, and, and you know, you know, just wash your hands, yada, 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 people overreacting. Okay, so we should be over this thing, right? No. This thing dragged out. For God knows how long, and that's when I knew there's more. There's more going on here. There, there. Obviously, people are trying to take advantage of the crisis, and it's a common saying in Washington: uh, "Never let a crisis go to waste." I'm thinking to myself, that's messed up, man. That's so messed up. And so, there's a lot of things happening in the world, and so then that's when that's part one. So I've been off of that, and now I've been in the middle of coronavirus. So one of the things I was doing as I was getting involved in church was working with you know people in our congregation and there was um i remember a young adult who had found himself on skid row i mean he just unfortunate circumstances homelessness is another crisis in california things uh, drug abuse mental health by the way in the prison system they have built like basically mental hospitals inside the prisons i mean it's become it's all insanity i mean you're looking at it and saying people need help on a level that finances can't provide you know resources can't provide even there i mean there's so many issues and what it comes down to me is you know what it comes down to is there there isn't there's a lack of moral leadership in this country there's a lack of inspiration people need to be inspired and and motivated and we don't really have that anymore and and now it's almost like you know you know somebody else's fault blame this person uh attack and by the way 
people are not were not attacking the governor, especially Christians. I mean, yeah, there were people, but they weren't. Christians are really the ones that I've seen, the ones that I've worked with. They're very respectful to people in authority, especially in our community. We're mm-hmm. very respectful. I mean, you really, really, really have to do something to upset people that I know and to get them like this. And I know a lot of people whose lives were turned upside down because of this whole thing. And and granted, there were people, we, we know people we have who, who suffered from this thing, but this is what I knew. The whole thing you know, just needs to be addressed. And us as Christians, again, we need to pray. We really need to pray because what I saw was when I was doing work, um, not with the Department of Corrections, but doing work on Skid Row with some of the homeless uh, people there, I was so discouraged because I had tried to evangelize uh, to this young individual about 20 years old. And he had found himself on Skid Row um, because he had gotten connected with some friends um, down at the beach somewhere and then introduced him to these guys who got him hooked to marijuana. And now he's on Skid Row and now he's addicted to like hard drugs and his life is just completely unrecognizable. And I say to myself, like, how did that person get there? Um, It's because we allow it and Mm -hmm. they're not. You know, the government isn't really doing anything about it. And when I complained to the police about it and I, and I was, okay, well, we got to, we got to, we got to address these issues. You know, I mean, it's not like, you know, uh, you know, people used to make fun of, you know, the, the notion when I was at UC Irvine, you know, the talk then was legalizing marijuana. And the argument was that marijuana is kind of the gateway drug to other drugs. And, and they were like, no, it's not. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. And I know it is because I've seen it firsthand working with people like this. Um, so people who say, no, it's, it's a, it's not a gateway drug. Don't know what they're talking about. It's a gateway. doesn't mean that everybody is going to go to do crack cocaine, but there are people who are vulnerable in our society. who don't know better, especially young adolescents who don't know better and get sucked into these, you know, things. And so it's very selfish of people to say, no, you know, it's not, they're not looking out for the least of these, like Jesus taught us. They're not, they're not looking out for the people in our society who are, uh, susceptible, you know? They take advantage of victims. And what happened to people like this is they start off with marijuana and then these guys on the streets, you know, who make money off of this stuff and they traffic it intentionally. Um, they intentionally lace this stuff with harder drugs. So they like synthesize the marijuana and you get used to that synthetic stuff. And then from that synthetic stuff, you become addicted to the harder stuff. And then you grow a taste for the hard stuff, stuff that you would never have even thought of. And the next thing you know, they're addicted and they can't even think for themselves. And I remember sitting down there at Skid Row, literally sitting down there with some people and talking to some of the folks on the street there, the residents, I call them. And they've established like their own network there, like their own community. I'm not even kidding you. They got like, there's this guy who like runs the street. They got like runners and, you know, guys who do, you know, run errands for them and They've got their own real estate set up. I mean, these tents are like strategically placed. It looks like chaos, but strategically placed. And they capitalize. They capitalize on on poor immigrants. They capitalize on people who are extra vulnerable. And the sad thing is a lot of these young kids, it's like Coachella, you know, they just go out to want to have fun and they like it on the streets. I'm not making this up, Marcus. I'm out there going, why don't you come home? Why don't you, we, people want to help you. There, there are, 
you know, there are all these hospitals and programs out here, and they they're ready to help. There are beds available. The ladies were telling me at the uh, one of the uh, 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 ministries there that provides resources was telling me they have beds available. They have like a hundred beds available. But if this only if this person wants to come, I'm like, what? So I'm out there talking to these people. I'm like, why don't you come? Why don't you come? And they'll provide bed, and and they don't want the rules. No, we like it here on the street. They're having a party. It's California. The weather's nice. They're out there cooking hot dogs in the street. They get free food. I mean, they're not paying any rent. They're they're making bonfires at night. They're 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 ha- you know they're they're watching you know TV you know on their you know iPads and on their you know iPhones. They're just chilling. They're having a good time. And then you you drive by a little bit to just like you know try to visit them. And then they put on the face you know like oh you know we're in need. And there are people in it. I'm not saying that. But the street I was on, I'll never forget talking to some folks. And they're like, this is the lifestyle they've created. This is the lifestyle they actually want. They've told me this. There are people like that. Yes, there are people who need help who are just in bad situations. Um, I, I have total compassion for those. But I don't have any compassion for people who are taking advantage. And there are a lot of people who are doing that. And I remember leaving Skid Row for the final time Um on this ministry course that I was doing and I was totally just demoralized. I said, God, I, I'm fighting this battle. I complained to people about it. I, I went to LAPD and they told me, Chaplain, with all due respect, there's nothing we can do. This is an adult. They're adults. And you just kind of have to let them do what they want. You can't force them. You know, you can't kidnap them and throw them in a car and, you know, they'll file charges against you. You'll go to jail. You know, like you, you can't you can't take somebody against their will. If they want to be there, they want to be there. We can't do anything about it. And I was literally driving home that day and I said to myself for the last time, I remember leaving, and I was thinking, God, there is no way, Lord, you can stand by and let all this injustice take place i said lord you something big needs to happen lord because this is this whole thing is messed up and you know what happened marcus what not not three days after my last visit skid row there's a judge named judge david carter judge carter sounds like a like a movie title, yeah. <laughs> he literally wrote this 110-page brief. And if you don't know who David Carter is, if you live in California, if you remember the Santa Ana River was filled with tents, that was the same guy who said, all y'all off the streets immediately and uh, filed a, an injunction and got all the homeless off of the Santa Ana River. He did the same thing to Skid Row. He said, we need more accountability in our government spending. And I want everybody off the streets, off of Skid Row, women and children first, immediately, and everyone else by October off of the streets. I didn't know a judge could do that, that they have that kind of power. And this guy, I believe, was appointed by Bill Clinton, older guy. I mean, awesome. He started if you, in the, he started off this brief uh citing you know the civil war and abraham lincoln and basically saying this is not the this is not the country that abraham lincoln and those young men who fought and died for freedom uh envisioned and we need to fix the problems yeah he he acknowledged the racism you know he acknowledged those things but he said corruption is not a joke and injustice and people dying is not a joke 
health is not a joke. We need to put an end to this as soon as possible. And I thought to myself, oh, what a glorious day. Sometimes God has ways to answer our prayers. But Marcus, it's a battle. Yeah. Because you know what happened not soon after that? I'm thinking, yes, Jesus, finally, like, somebody's going to fix these problems that we see. And not soon after, the county of Los Angeles, and I think the city, too, filed a counter. Uh, they, they, they forced them to appeal this um, to the higher courts um, to basically put an emergency freeze on the order. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's Eric Garcetti for you. Yeah, yeah. mayor of Los Angeles. Yeah. And I said to myself, why? Oh, the, their, their argument is we're messing up years and years and years of work that they're trying to do relationships are trying to build or whatever it is. And I said to myself, look, this is, this is, this is not normal, even though it's been normalized and people need to know that it's not okay. And, and Marcus, we have one life to live, you and I, and I think our generation needs to really just be a voice and not be afraid to fight those battles. And I think it's going to come down in the courts. I think we need to be wise. And I think we need to be like Paul the Apostle when he stood before Felix and he stood before them and gave a good testimony, gave the good good confession about Christ and and challenged them legally. I remember one time in Acts, Paul was being beaten, you know, and he, he didn't say it right away. You know, he could have. But remember that story where Paul the Apostles, he's being mistreated and he's in prison. And he goes to the guard, he goes, Oh, by the way, after he's done, he goes, by the way, is it lawful to beat a Roman citizen? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, well, I earned my, you know, I paid my citizenship. What about you? And then Paul goes, yeah, well, I was born a citizen or whatever it was. Or, And then he goes, oh, snap, they were scared. <laughs> and, he, and then they tried to excuse Paul. They're like, oh, okay, you can go, you can go. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. no, no, I'm not going until you bring, you know, you know, we deal with this. So they had gotten themselves in a in a huge legal bind, but Paul was a was an incredibly smart legal person, and I I love the fact that he knew it. I mean, he wrote read Romans, you know. I mean, the language there is so. I mean, there's a lot of legal uh, language that inspired you know people like Martin Luther who read Galatians and Romans and and uh, and justification by faith and um, no one's righteous before God, you know, uh, according to His law. And I realized, but, you know, how powerful was Paul with his words? How powerful was Paul? Paul was a thinking man. He knew the law. But it started with, you know where it started with, Marcus? He knew the law of God. Mm -hmm. And the law of God ultimately triumphs over the laws of man. And I realized it's like, man, Paul was a very wise man, very well read. Not only did he know the scriptures really well, not only was he well trained in these regards that he could have these conversations with the top religious leaders of his day he could also throw down with the governors he could also do that it's because he was smart he did that and i exhort christians today to be like that mm -hmm. to be well read in your scriptures and also to be well read in what's happening in your state of california to to stay with the news you can do it uh just be careful what news you read too you know but make sure you pay attention to what's going on you know be and also be a voice you know don't be afraid to speak up and you know counter so basically you're encouraging because in these last few years especially i would say more more so in the in the 2016 election uh, but even in the 2020 election a lot of christians 
kind of took a back seat, uh, especially in the state of California, because they were conflicted or they believe that our calling is to help and encourage people, but to stay out like out of the like legal uh, aspect of it. And what you said is contrary to that, which is true. I mean, Apostle Paul was very involved with the legal matters of the day, especially in Rome. So we as Christians, yeah, though we're called to answer the commission that Jesus gave us to further his word and, and, and preach his gospel, we still need to stand up and we still need to let our voices be heard. Even if we do, as, 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 as of right now, live in a blue state, we need to make our voices be heard because um, we are the physical embodiment of Jesus Christ on this earth and we need to stand for his morals, stand for his values, and answer his calling. Exactly. Exactly. And what makes America unique, and especially where we live, is the government actually expects its citizens to speak up. So like a lot of people come from other countries, autocratic societies, uh, and I'm just going to name a few. And we came, you know, our families came from Romania. There were a lot of countries like that in Europe, in Asia, uh, one particular country like China, too. I could use as an example or, uh, you know, any, any of those countries where they're autocratic, you know, you have like one ruler. People aren't used to questioning their government. They come to this country and they're like, you're not supposed to question the leadership. You're not supposed to vote. You're supposed to just be a good citizen and mind your business. Don't, don't cause problems, you know. And it's like, well, okay, yeah. And I, I, that's good. You know, we want to, you know, be good citizens and live at peace with everyone around us as far as it depends on us and do the best that we can. But at the same time, I think the way that the Constitution was framed and I think the way the law of the land, you know, and the way that the system set up is that its citizens get involved. Only I heard uh, Powell, the Fed uh, secretary, you know, he came from a you know public, you know, I mean, uh, he came from a private uh, 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 work that he was doing or whatever in the, in the private sector. And he moved to the public sector. And, and when he's done with this, he'll probably go back to the private sector. And he said, I remember uh, during the uh, pandemic, uh, uh, the chairman um, said, uh, America's just so incredible because we can do that here. You can put aside your private business and go serve the public. And then when you're done, go back. Like no other country, like what other country on the planet can you do that? I mean, now I know the world's changing, but like what a great thing. What a what a great blessing for us as Christians in America. Um, there's nothing that, you know, precludes us as Christians or people from saying, hey, why don't, why don't we voice our opinion? Why don't we get involved? And there are people, and I know you've had George Roshka on, on your program. Yeah. I love that guy. I mean, he's super involved. I mean, he's like, hey, I want to know my kids are getting good education. I want to know what my kids are being taught. I want to know what's in the curriculum. That's that's not controversial, Marcus. Why is that controversial? And I'm starting to look at this. I'm saying, okay, you you pay. You send your kids to school, right? As a parent, wouldn't you want to know, hey, what are they? what's in the curriculum? What's in the lesson plan? Can we get a general scope of what's what, what our kids are being taught? Wow, they're being taught that? Uh, that kind of goes against, you know, what I, my convictions, what I believe is true. Like I, you know, to believe that men and women are different is like scandalous. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. it's these days you're like, well, but hold on a second, hold on a second. I, I'm still entitled to my belief. I'm still entitled to my opinion. I have the right to believe what I believe. And I have the right as a parent, um, you know, we want our kids to be educated, you know, to be all around, you know, uh, intelligent and, and well civilized and, and taught, but you know, we also want we want to know what they're being taught, you know. And the other thing is, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, where 
where we are as a society in terms of like, you know, the, right now another discussion is like voting. What's wrong with, uh, you know, what's wrong with asking somebody for their ID? Like, uh, you know, they're saying it's, you know, racist. I heard a congresswoman uh, say that, no, this whole voter ID thing is racist. That's racist. There's racist, you know, motivation behind it. Okay. I don't know that. But why can't we, you and I as Christians, as individuals who live in this society, have a voice and say, well, hold on a second. Can you explain why that's racist? Can you explain why that's a bad idea to have your ID at the voting booth when you go vote? Why is that? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Um, well, it's racist, they'll say, because people you know who are impoverished won't have a voice then because they don't have driver's license or whatever or they can't get access to one or immigrants can't get access to one right away so you have a whole demographic that's left out and look i i totally respect that but as of now what i heard was i just did my homework i was like i heard that argument from a congressperson i said okay that's a legitimate argument right i mean you don't want people to be left out right you want everybody to be included in the voting process who's eligible for that and and so what I said to myself was like, okay, let me do my homework on it. Uh, South Carolina uh, senator that we all know um, is they're working on that, saying we want to make people, we want to make the process by which people get their driver's license easier. We will get you an ID. We will make sure we'll we'll do whatever we can to make sure you have an ID. We just want to verify. Why can't you verify? And I look at that and I said, look, I'm not. This is not a let's not look at any of the racial things. Let's try not to look at that and say, is that the right thing to do? Yeah, but look at the state of California. We're forced to get that new ID with that with that chip exactly. implanted. They're, they're, they actually made a mandate that you can't um, you can't travel domestically without it unless you bring your passport, which, I mean, no one wants to bring that when they're taking a domestic flight. So you have to keep that on you at all times, on your person, and – now they they make that claim that it's racist and that not everyone has access to an ID, but it's it's I'm sure I'm not I didn't I didn't get mine yet, so I don't know what the cost is yet, but I'm sure they'd make it available for all different types of socioeconomic backgrounds. So why is it a problem? Like why is it a problem for us to require ID when we do something such as voting, which is really important in our country, especially in this democratic society that we live in? Like you said, the we have this opportunity to really get involved in our government, whether it's taking a certain position or voicing our opinions and our criticism towards these government officials. We have that freedom, and now the one thing that has this biggest voice, the, the biggest and strongest tool that we have in, in this setting is voting, which can be compromised because there is this law that they claim to be racist. And like you said— Taking advantage of a crisis, making a change during a crisis, using using last year's riots uh, as a as kind of this jumping board, this launching pad to to make these mandates, and that's what they're doing. Yeah, and I I agree with that because I look at it and I say, look, I'm look, we know, man, we we know what it's like. We our parents are immigrants to this country. We man, a lot of us start from the bottom, man, and and we know we worked hard. We're like, look, brother, you know. We're right there with you. We want, fair, you know, we want opportunities. We want people to be able to advance. We want to help our neighbors. We want to love our neighbors. We want to, we we're, especially as Christians. Christians are the kind of people you want in your society, Mr. Governor, Mr. Uh, Speaker, that Miss Speaker of the House, whoever it is. 
You want Christians, real Bible-believing Christians in your state. You want them. And do you know why you want them? Because Christians are held by a higher law in their conscience, right? The word of God burns. And Christians are the most, true Christians are the most transparent, honest, hardworking, loving people you've ever met, okay? And you want Christians in your society. What you don't want in your state is you don't want good people leaving your state and going to Texas, which by the way, 16% increase. I checked the numbers recently and we could, if anybody online who's listening to this can check it, uh, Texas is experiencing record population increase, 16% uptick. And I heard, um, I think I read a stat today that in the last year we had 135,000 Californians migrate out yeah. of the state. Yeah, and for the first time in the history of California, I think we're, we've are we lost or in, uh, threatened to lose a congressional seat. Really? Wow. Yeah, I read, I'll send you the link and everything that you can put on your uh, website. But I, I'm looking at that and saying, this is happening all around us, y'all. Like, this is going on, and Texas does sound pretty good. <laughs> like, I, I mean, but at the same time, I say to myself, well, why can't, why can't, why can't California change? And I think California can change because that's exactly what the beauty of this system is, is it changes. Every four years, we get to reevaluate and we redo it. Every, you know, there are elections and elections, you know, happen because things need to change. And in America, people tend to like overreact. You know, when they see an issue, they go, okay, let's go to this extreme here. And they go, oh, we went too far. Let's go back to the other extreme. And, and, what I want to see more of is like, hey, Christian, just speak up, ask good questions. You're not obligated to do anything you don't have, you don't want to do. And that's the beauty in the state of California. You're not forced to. Okay, you have rights. You don't have to insist on your rights all the time. You just know your rights. Little things like, you know, if an officer, <laughs> you don't like the way an officer is talking to you, you don't have to get angry. You can just say, officer, with all due respect, I don't want to talk to you. I don't feel comfortable with you. I don't know what it is about you. You can say the officer, but your presence, your presence is making me very uncomfortable. And therefore, I do not want to speak to you. You have the right to remain silent. Yeah. Officer can go, are you questioning me? He can threaten you. Say, officer, you're getting aggressive with me. With all due respect, officer, I don't want to talk to you. And you're not doing anything wrong. You don't have to lose your temper. You can just talk... And you know what that officer has to do? He can't He can't do anything to you. He's bound by the law. But a lot of people feel like, oh, I need to, you know, it's inconvenient. Maybe you get pulled over on your way to work and you're late for work. But you can have a full-blown conversation with an officer and say, officer, with all due respect, don't want to talk to you. So I do have a question for you. Yeah. Because uh, we're kind of promoting, like, speaking our, our minds and raising our voices here. Um, but considering the the hostile environment that we live in, especially in the state of California, uh, towards Christians, um, most of all, uh, what would you recommend to Christians who are more afraid to speak up because of that hostile reaction that they're uh, anticipating? Um, I would say <sighs> practice the wisdom of meekness and gentleness with people. Speak softly with people. Don't ever raise your voice, but speak. So when you think raise your voice, you think, I need to raise my voice. I need to yell. You know, I need to get all hyped up. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there there's rallies and there are moments where you want to get, your, you know, your team riled up and you want to get motivated. Let's go. But we don't have to yell. We don't have to raise our voice. We don't have to. I mean, I'm, I'm watching 
I'm watching Congress people like yelling at each other, like ad hominem attacks left and right. And I'm thinking to myself, this isn't a civilized society. A civilized society has conversation and make those conversations public. Don't be afraid to make it public. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to, uh, you know, report this or I don't want to raise this question. I don't want to raise the issue because I'm afraid. Raise the question. Raise the issue. At least the fact that you raise the issue and no one else is raising the issue, but you're raising the issue. You're not, fellow Christian, if you're listening to this, you're not, you're not putting yourself on the line there. You're raising an issue. The issue has nothing to do with you. It's the issue. You debate the issue and you say, look, I'm not here to win the argument. I'm here to just raise an issue. Because guess what? Most people are unaware. They're so busy you know, raising their family, going to work, taking care of everyday life that, you know, they're, I don't think that they, you know, want to bother themselves with, you know, they just want to know, okay, what's the, what are the main things I need to focus on? And, and if you're, as long as you're in tune uh, with what's going on in the world and you're informed, stay informed, listen, you know, listen to your pastor, go to a good Christian church, you know, I would say, but just, just be. Don't be afraid of voicing your opinion. Don't be afraid of you know, voicing your. Don't, you know what? What somebody? What are they gonna do? Kill you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, what, what's the worst they can do? You know, uh, the worst thing they they're gonna do. I, I could see, and I, then brother Christian or sister, if you're listening to this, the worst thing that people are gonna do is come after your moral qualifications. Um, they're gonna ad hominem attack. An ad hominem attack is a personal attack. It has nothing to do with the argument itself. It's like, oh, wow, Marcus is winning the argument, so I'm just going to attack Marcus. You know, mm-hmm. And that's that's the strategy. That's a political strategy. When when you're losing the argument, start attacking the person's character. And so your character is going to be questioned. But brother and sister, if you're listening to this, um, no one's perfect. I mean, every we've all sinned, all fallen short of the glory of God. But there is forgiveness of sin, and that's why we should confess our sin and practice those prayers and and give our you know shortcomings you know uh confess them before god and overcome those sins in our lives and forgive the people in our past and make right those things if we've sinned you know and and if the best thing you as a christian can have is a clean conscience Mm -hmm. yeah because if you're clean if your conscience is clean before god guess what like the good old proverb says it says and like an an unwarranted insult you know like like a bird in flight uh, an unwarranted insult does not alight on its intended victim, like a like a darting sparrow. That saying is like imagine you've ever seen like a you're driving in you know, in your car and you see the sparrow flying in and you think you're gonna hit the this bird, and then it like just zooms right past you, um, and then you're like wow that thing got close but it never hit me. You're you know you don't think about it and insults are like that. If you don't deserve that insult because it's it's totally untrue, it's like that darting sparrow. It's gonna go like this and then just like curve last minute. And yeah, no matter how hard they throw it, no matter no. what trage- trajectory, no matter what angle, it's not gonna hit you. Yeah. Yeah, it's not gonna hit you. And by the way, this is what they do. They they go, oh, you're this, you're uh, you're this, and you say, look, okay, attack me. That's fine. But if it's not true, I don't. It doesn't bother me. I don't get offended by it because you can call me names all you want. You can call me this, but those things aren't true. And as long as you, as a Christian, live your life in holiness, which by the way, I'm so glad people still preach that. Walk in righteousness, live a clean life um, before God. Um, yeah, then you'll be fine. Which, by the way, if you're a younger audience member, and you're listening to this. Be careful what you're posting on the internet. Yeah, be careful. Yeah, we, there are so many platforms out there. You know, there's so many different. You're leaving a, a footprint, an e-footprint. Everything you put on the internet is still on the internet. You delete your stuff, it's still there. 
you delete it, guess what? Snapchat, they got databases, bro. And those databases don't delete anything. They store information. It's no longer on your phone, but they still have access to it. So don't think yourself so smart like, oh, I, I posted this thing and I deleted it. Or I looked at this website. No, 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 no. It takes two to tango. And when you log into a server, guess what that server's doing? They're logging into you and they're taking data out of you. Nothing's free in America, man. Mm-hmm. And you think those apps are free. You think those products are free, but they're watching you. And that's not a joke. You know, there are... Uh, there are Chinese uh, companies that were heavily ostracized by the previous administration because they were uh, being criticized for doing exactly that, spying on American citizens. And we're like, that's a pretty hefty accusation. But the reality is you're giving them the information voluntarily. I remember talking to an elderly gentleman from a generation ago, and he said, I asked him, like, hey, where do you live? He said, none of your business. <laughs> he wouldn't tell me the street he lived in. The, I was like, oh, where he's from? That's not your business, he told me. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and it's like people used to take privacy so much more seriously back then, I guess. Now we're just like, oh, let me just post all these pictures of myself and my family, how many kids I have. We turn whatever. our locations on, our, our on. geolocation on, all that stuff, yeah. <laughs> they don't got to know where you're at. Come on, man. I mean, your parents want to know because your parents, you know, some parents want to know where their kids are at and, you know, it's, but I just, I just don't mess with stuff like that. I like to keep, I like a privacy, you know, Jesus spent a lot of time in lonely places, isolated places when he prayed for that reason, he just disconnected. And I'll tell you, I spent a COVID, I got onto Instagram um, and I regret it. I mean, I got on for a little bit and it's powerful. Don't underestimate the power of some of these apps. Don't underestimate the power of like there are professional marketers, psychologists, okay, that work on this stuff and they know what attracts you. So they know what pulls you in. So you got to be very careful. Like even uh, Robinhood and these trading apps, these new things are coming out. They are designed, and, I, and I'm using this, They were, Warren Buffett even came out and said it. They're designed to um, compulse you to to like that gambling instinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I can use that word, I, they, they, they compel you to that. They, they, they draw you into this like a uh, gambling instinct it, it preys on that, you know? And so if you're, if you're, you know, you, you sign on for these apps, you sign on for these, you know, uh, software and these programs, you don't realize what the technology is doing to you, man. I, uh, I was holding my phone one day. I remember sitting there and I was like, ugh, I was feeling really like anxious and down and, I remember I was holding my phone with my right hand and looking at my phone. And and I remember the verse that Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye, right eye causes you to sin, cut it out. And I was looking, what do we what do we use our hand and our eyes with? This, we, like our hand and our phone's literally in our hand and we're looking at it with our eyes. Yeah, the two parts of the body that you use with the phone, you have to see it and then you have to hold it. And isn't that interesting that that's the exact same thing that Jesus was telling us, you know, if your hand and your eye, God, he's going to cut it out. So I literally said to myself, wow, I need to get rid of all my social media. And I did. And I'll testify after three days, it took about three days, my attitude changed. I felt like I was mentally more alert, more focused more happy, uh, more at peace. Um, and, uh, I think I suspect it had to do with, um, just that subtle change in my life. I just, 
I had to get off my phone. Um, sometimes you can't control the beast, man. You, you can't control a beast. You know, you just have to. You can't, you know, pet keep it like a pet. Sometimes you have to you get rid of it. Yeah, you have to. Get rid of yeah, it, you know? get rid of it because the potential is there, and it, it could be it could be dangerous for uh, not just anyone, but especially Christians as well. So, um, but yeah, kind of like uh, I know we were talking about the state of California, and um, we were talking a little bit about this off air about this generation that we're living in, and the possibility of a reversal in our politics and our in in this state which seems absolutely absurd to the people on the outside, but even uh, possibly even more uh, just out there from, from people like us who have seen the moral degradation that has occurred in this society in this uh, once great state. Um, and you, you mentioned that you have hope for, for reversal. And you did mention uh, that obviously God has the power to, to do that. And I know a lot of people have talked about that. I know I've heard people who were following certain reports on cases about reversing Roe v. Wade with the whole abortion thing at the Supreme Court or just like talks over the years. And they're they're very hopeful. And, you know, from my perspective, and I don't deny the the divine work of God. I, I, absolutely. Obviously, he has the power to to do anything. But. Will he? Does he want to? Because I'm looking, we're, we're look, there was a meme, and I think I mentioned this before, but uh, every day uh, last year there was a meme that said they were turning the page. They're like, okay, what page of Revelation are we on now? <laughs> you know, it's it, it, things are progressively getting uh, to the point where where they should go, as as has been prophesied and has how we know according to the scripture. So, yes, California is very liberal right now. It's probably the worst it's been ever. To, in its history, in, in since 1850, since it became a state, um, but you know we could have hope for a re- reversal. But does God want to do that, or are we currently on track for the end times? What is your opinion on on that argument? I love end times. Actually, my favorite class that I did, probably the one of the better grades in my studies of theology class was eschatology. A, eschatology, yeah. Daniel and Revelation. I read those two books. You're supposed to read them together. I didn't know that. Daniel and Revelation. And uh, Holtberg, Professor Holtberg, Talbot School of Theology, awesome professor. Uh, he is a, uh, a mid-trib guy, uh, uh, pre-tribulation. He believes in the rapture, and uh, I, I'm with him there. I, he was my professor, and I agree with him. I think we will go through a tribulation. However, I don't believe it is wise or uh, good to say, okay, yeah, that's it. We're, we're seeing the signs. It's the end. Uh, because we don't know. The, the the scripture also teaches us that we don't know the end times. We don't know the date the Father uh, in heaven has ordained. Jesus himself uh, said that. You know, it's not for us to know. When the disciples asked him, uh, Jesus, when are these things going to be? He said, it's not for you to know. So I definitely do believe, though, that we are at the end of an age. We're at the, ev- we're at the end of an age. And ev- at the end of every age, what I've noticed in history, if I studied history too, um, and the development of denominations throughout history, which was my last podcast here. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that at the end of the age, there's almost this wineskin, new wineskin, old wineskin, new wineskin kind of a thing. And those kind of represented a new new ages, new new time periods. Um, we've had reformation in, uh, you know, after the dark ages, you know, there are periods of time. And so that's why I, I, I kind of agree with even some of the uh, dispensational guys to a degree is there are dispensations, which mean periods of time that God works age to age. He remains the same, but age to age. So in our generation, I think you and I are in the middle of a shift. Um, 
there have been revolutions in the past, industrial revolution. Uh, we are we are in a, rev, a revolution, technological revolution. The, the world is changing before our eyes. That doesn't mean that Jesus is going to come in our lifetime. Um, he could. We the, the point is, regardless, we need to be ready at all times. He can come at any moment. We need to be ready at all times. Uh, be praying, be drawing close to him, be living our lives ready to go. God, if you come, Jesus, if you come, we're ready to go. Um, but the point is, what we are seeing, and a lot of times in Revelations too, you'll see is these are patterns too. And there are people who look at the patterns in Revelation and say, oh, these are these are things that have already happened in the past. Um, they take a, a preterist approach, which is called a past approach. They'll say that, oh, well, the Romans were that. And then, you know, the futurists will say, no, 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 these are things that are yet to be. Um, there's, there's a little bit of both there. And I think the answer is age to age. These things kind of replicate themselves over time, age to age. So you'll see revelation-like instances in our world happen because we live in an age. And at the end of our age, and when we're off of this planet, a new age will begin and similar things will happen until the coming of Christ or the culmination of the times, whatever you believe. But that's that's a whole other topic. We can talk about eschatology at a later date. I love eschatology. Actually, I already did. Boom! Yeah, we had it with, uh, with Rafi. She, uh, she actually also went to... Um, she got her master's in biblical studies, if I remember correctly, at uh, Moody in, in Chicago. No way I'd ever met Rafi. Yeah, yeah she, I just had her on an episode uh, like six weeks ago. Yeah, she, we talked about eschatology, the end times, all of that. And I think she shares like a similar view that you do, or she was kind of talking about um, how the fact that there is a belief that the times of Revelation happen like over and over again in, in generations across history. Basically, there there is an anti antichrist figure in certain points of history and it kind of happens over and over again but eventually it'll all culminate to the final and real antichrist and the actual end times yeah. so how it's, it's kind of like a almost not 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 that more, more of a deja vu but kind of like a preview like a like an early script kind of building upon each other like on this foundation until we finally get to that pinnacle to that to that peak where we we see that so that, that that's that's I, i've heard that from several different people uh from both of you as well so that's interesting but i i agree i think we are at the end of an age things will change uh, for those of you hopeful that we'll get back to the bc days before covid days <laughs> we're not we're not going to see those days again Every, the, even though it'll seem similar it's like looking through a lens that has like a slightly different shade color It'll we'll see the same images, but it'll be it's kind of like our taste and smell, never fully back. <laughs> always kind of weird. I mean, at least for me, it's always a little. There's a pinch of something in there, or it's it's slightly deviated. But that's how it's gonna be with with the with the riots last year, with these mask mandates, with these vaccine mandates. Which, I mean, I it's kind of heading in that direction. Um, Can I share a theory with yeah, you? Yeah, go ahead. So. Uh, President Biden said um, our children, in his first press conferences, our children are going to be writing their dissertations on who succeeded, autocracy or democracy, because that's what's at stake. And I was like, what? Okay, and we live in a, a democratic society where we're, you know, uh, people believe, even at that level, that demo democracy is fallible. And Abraham Lincoln mentioned it in his speech, that, you know, we the point of creating a more perfect, a more perfect union. That phrase really captured the attention of a lot of these, you know, democratic, powerful leaders. That we want to create a more perfect union. How do we do that? Is we correct the imperfections and um, 
and we want we want to help people and to have a voice and democracy works when 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 people vote and people participate and you get involved so democrats have a lot of good ideas you know the problem is um a lot of countries on the outside uh, growing powers like china and russia consider themselves um autocratic powers now where they believe no 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 you can't have a million different people running you know the, the system you need one mission vision one direction and everybody to get on board it'd be like in your church if everybody was like on the board of your church and had to say you know it's like you're, you're gonna have division you need somebody to just put their foot down and say okay you know like after youth you know we guys want to go to chick-fil-a or you know what do you want to do let's vote well i want to go to chick-fil-a i want to go to in and out i want no i want umami or i don't want or i want uh you know <laughs> Earth Cafe or whatever you want. And then you, you, you let, and at the end of the day, people just kind of go their own way. And I can just say, no, we're all going here and we're going to BJ's and that's where we're going. And we all go to the pizza um, that I like, you know, that's the problem too, you know. Um, but that's kind of in a nutshell, kind of an idea of how democracy works, you know. So do you, are you going to be the kind of person that says, okay, we're going to have, this is the right way and this is where we're going to go because this is the best for everybody. Um, yeah, there are going to be some exceptions that get left out, but hey, at least the majority, this is the best decision. Or do you let people decide? Now, people in China, Xi Jinping had conversations with Joe Biden. He said this in his press conference. He believes that, uh, they believe that, um, a lot of people do, as a matter of fact, that America is on the decline and will never recover. And democ we're, we're reaching the end of democracy. And what's going to happen in the future because of technology and, and consolidations of power is autocracies are going to rise and become more and more powerful. And people want strong leadership, you know. And some believe, you know, these end time people believe that that's going to give way to the the uh, the Antichrist and absolute power they're going to take for themselves. And uh, that's going to turn the world upside down. And, and the crazy thing is people are going to want that. And somehow Israel is going to be involved in like end times and it's going to go down. And then Jesus is going to show up and save save us from all that. But we'll be raptured, so we'll be good. And so, but here's the problem: what I see with that is a lot of Christians go, "Oh, then forget it, just let it go, let it all go to you know downhill, and just forget about it." And I don't know. I, I look at it and I see, I see, I see in many ways, honestly, Marcus, the world is getting better. I do believe the world is getting better, and in a lot of ways. It's becoming worse in the sense as we're seeing a lot more problems too. But I'm seeing things uh, improving in terms of standard of living for people. Uh, but at the same time, the, mor the morale and the morals of people seem to be degradating. But then I, I think about it and I say, well, I mean, people were doing some pretty horrific things in the Dark Ages. So if we know our history, you know, there were some pretty barbaric things that that were happening, you know, um, and the world is changing. And the reason why it's changing for the better is because the imprint of Christianity on this planet and Christian values and the laws of God and righteousness that always overcomes the wickedness and the light overcomes the darkness, man. So I believe, yeah, maybe we're living in a new dark ages, but I do believe, um, good, good is yet to come. Well, I was actually talking to someone today and they they were saying, um, how, the because we live in such a comfortable world today, Christians aren't really doing their job. They're they're comfortable. They're they can attend church when they want, as of right now, and they don't really associate with other people besides the people in their community. And they just live their lives. And they there's not a, there's not a lot of 
there aren't many obstacles in front of them. So would you think, considering that you think it's, yeah, standard of, standard of living, it's getting better, morale, morality is getting worse, uh, would you see that as a kind of a recipe for disaster for the modern Christian where like, if they don't stand up and know the scriptures, like them getting more comfortable through the better living plus the whole morality of society going down, uh, do you think those two in combination uh, would really be detrimental to a Christian who doesn't know his or hers scriptures or isn't really involved with church? What, what, what would you say about that? Okay, let me take a step back here. Um, I think the lies are getting louder. It would, and by that I say what's happening is what, what I see persecution— I don't see it happening. Um, I, I was thinking about this some time ago, Marcus, and I'll share this with you. I don't think that, how do I say this in a way that's uh, cohesive? Uh, I, I do think we're going to experience persecution, but I think we're going to experience it in places we didn't expect. I think we are going to see people who profess to be Christians not really Christians. Mm-hmm. Persecution is coming from within the house. It's coming from within Christianity. I'll give you an example. Jesus said, I came, do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring division. He says, uh, uh, I think it was three against uh, uh, two and two against three. By the way, five, if, you, if Jesus knew what he was talking about, if you had a vote on something and three versus two, you're that middle person between these two. Uh, your decision is going to swing that vote. Yeah. Like on mm-hmm. a Supreme Court, you know? Imagine being that middle person. Jesus was effective, effectively saying, you're that middle person in your generation. You're going to be that person. And don't think I came to bring uh, peace. I came to bring division over me, over who I am and what I'm teaching. And you're going to have to choose a side. And your side, your, the side is you're going to choose that, that two versus three, three versus two is going to swing the vote. And, and, father is going to you know uh, son is going to rise up against father and, and vice versa and all that and and i came to set a fire on the earth jesus said and oh that we're already kindled like jesus was excited uh, there was almost this excitement in him for like oh i want to see you know this and and what i mean by that is and i think what jesus meant by that is jesus came to disrupt our order, he came to disrupt our lives. And when the gospel is being preached, it's very uncomfortable for people. It's very disruptive. It's very disruptive. Yeah. It will disrupt this planet and it disrupts our, our livelihood and everything we do. He, he's, it's awesome. I mean, and, and, but it's, 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 it's excites me because we forget. I mean, I remember thinking about uh, the 2016 election. People were mocking. People were like, this is never going to happen. This guy's never going to be the president of the United States. They were literally laughing. And we were going, yeah, dude. We, we were like, this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And it happened. Marcus, it happened. Did we forget that? I mean, it's like, brothers and sisters, nothing's off the table. Okay? Uh, it's kind of a free-for-all right now. And the fact that more people aren't stepping up and voicing their opinion and Taking and standing on the word of God and 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 following this word and preaching it with conviction and, and standing by it without being a jerk, by the way, you know, it's gonna be it's awesome. You know what's happening? The word is having an effect. 
whether we preach it or not, this word is having an effect. And woe to us, because we could preach this word. We could be the ones. But you know what? God is working. I'm looking at people like Jordan Peterson, for example. That guy is like so close to coming to becoming a Christian. It's incredible. He's he's talking about how like there was an interview that he was doing, and I watched it on YouTube, and you can find it, where he started talking about the thought of the reality of the Gospels and the biblical accounts, and he he started crying. He said, "I don't know what happened if people would actually believe that." He said, "For the but he sees he he sees the the uh, the veracity of of the story, the narrative story, and he's going, man, this is there's something there." There's something there, and I, it, it, I, it gets me excited because I go, this is just what we need. Absolutely, yeah. Like, yeah. could you imagine what would happen if Jordan Peterson just became a full-blown Christian? He's like, okay, I'm going to spend the rest of my life evangelizing. I mean, he's such an intelligent guy, you know, and I think to myself, I don't, you know, when the church was in crisis in Paul's day, you know, and there's persecution, and the guy who was persecuting the church named Saul of Tarsus, remember that? Yeah. And then God was like, hey, Saul. What's up? <laughs> in in layman's terms, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in layman's terms. He was like, why are you persecuting me? And uh, Saul, whose name later became Paul, um, new identity and everything, um, became an incredibly um, powerful and influential figure. And I thought to myself, there will never be another Paul the Apostle. I'm not saying that you know somebody like Jordan Peterson will be that, but I'm just suggesting is... You know, God in every generation seems to prepare people um, for good work. And I really do hope that um, we see more conversions of great people um, like like Paul the Apostle, who um, was an apostle and one of the founders of, of, the, of the first churches and sent by Jesus Christ himself. I don't follow the, the New Apostolic Reformation movement, by the way. Um, those are another group of guys who are like self-proclaimed apostles. And self-proclaimed yeah, that's apostles yeah. And we don't we don't align, align with that either. Yeah, but, but it'd be cool to see some awesome conversions and people who are not afraid to speak truth. You know, um, so just just speak truth, man. Don't be afraid of the truth. Um, just speak truth and let the truth speak for itself, man. And um, obviously, truth and love. You know, love means you don't want people to to. Uh, to not believe, you don't want people to deny, but you can't change their minds, you know. Just stick stick with the truth, everybody, and the truth will set you free. Amen, amen. And Paul, as, as we wrap up this episode, um, obviously you came in tonight having this conviction on your heart for the future of, of this world, for, for the future of uh, this current generation right now rising up. Uh, what would be just a piece of advice like right now in this on this day to a person who's listening uh, to this episode, a young person, a young Christian, kind of living their lives, uh, wondering what's going to happen next. Maybe they're in a more hostile environment. Maybe they're in a more welcoming environment to the Christian. Uh, what is what is your advice going forward, considering the lives and the environment that we live in today? Never underestimate what God can do. Amen. And what God can do through you. <laughs> you are God's vessel for his special purpose set apart. And remember that. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
Amen. And be yourself. Trust God and go out there and be a positive disruption on this planet. I like that positive disruption. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Paul, for for being on this episode. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I know this is something we just just kind of came up with, but uh, it, it's something that needs to be talked about because uh, you know we started off with California, but there there is a there is confusion in our in, in this current generation on what to do, what to think, what what uh, how we're being deceived by the higher ups, uh, saying that everything that they're doing is for our own benefit. Where they're just capitalizing on a current crisis that they may or may not have instilled um, or planned uh, just so they can get their own agenda across and, and, and kind of start their own thing. So uh, I think it was very beneficial that that people can hear this and kind of say like, hey, listen, like just because I am one voice, just because I am one red dot in an ocean of blue uh, doesn't mean that I can't I can't be polarizing and disruptive for the gospel of Jesus Christ and stand firm, even if I'm outnumbered. I mean, Jesus was outnumbered. The apostles were uh, outnumbered in, in their time and even martyred for for it as well. But uh, one thing, I, what I love about the faith that we have is that no matter how many people were killed for it, it's still growing stronger and stronger every single day for the last 2,000 years. You cannot you cannot extinguish this. That's right. The fire of the Holy Spirit living in each and every single one of us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is continuing to grow every single day. And the the best thing, I mean, the, 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 the best weapon is to create more martyrs for it because there are people out there who are willing, you know, we are willing to die for it because Christ died for us. So I, I'm just so encouraged by that, and I'm so encouraged just go, looking forward that no matter what happens, whether it's the end times or not, or maybe a new age, that our time here on earth is short, and there's a gospel that needs to be preached to people who are going straight to hell. And they may be people that we like, people that we don't like, mean people in the government that are just wicked and evil in their ways, but they all need to hear it, because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So uh, I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Love it, Marcus. Yeah. So thank you, Paul, for being on here. Um, obviously, you mentioned on the episode that you are uh, currently off social media, but um, they can always find you on. I know you're very involved with your church, Agape Church here in uh, Orange County, so they can find you on social media is there. The website's there uh, to, to listen to more from you. Uh, so thanks for being on. God bless you, man. God bless you too, brother. And uh, for those of you out there listening, thank you guys for tuning in. Again, you can follow us for any and all up- updates on our Instagram at the Potter's House. Uh, we're available for streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as other uh, more minor <laughs> streaming platforms that you guys don't typically listen to. Uh, but if you do have an iPhone, please go to that purple icon, that Apple Podcasts app. Scroll down, tap the stars, and leave a written review. It really helps the exposure of the show again may 26th wednesday may 26th i'm planning on after that release i'm planning on taking a little bit of a break but i'll keep you guys updated on what's to come in the future but for now i'm signing off thank you guys so much and we will see you next time